Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is lingering port congestion with my friend Paul Brazer. Paul is the Vice President of Drayage and Intermodal at ITS Logistics, a third-party logistics provider that offers creative supply chain solutions. ITS is consistently recognized as one of the top logistics companies in the nation. In the interview, Paul and I talk about a lot of the recent challenges at the ports and at the railheads. Paul is a smart guy and a great resource for shippers, so check out our conversation. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. Tusk Logistics is a national small parcel network made up of the very best regional small parcel carriers. Tusk delivers reliable service, predictable pricing, and proactive support at lower costs, sometimes up to 40% less than the big guys, UPS and FedEx. Implementation is easy, and the Tusk team is absolutely obsessed with customer service and putting the shipper first. Check them out at tusklogistics.com and click the Get Started button. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and talk to my friends over at Tusk Logistics. So how's it going, Paul? It's going good, Joe. Appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much for being on. So please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. My name is Paul Brazier, as you said. I'm the uh, Vice President of Dre, Drage and Intermodal Services at ITS Logistics. ITS Logistics is operating over 50 markets throughout North America. That's not just the Drayage and Intermodal uh, stuff that I oversee, but also domestic truckload. We have over 7 million square feet of distribution space throughout the U.S. and dedicated truckload services, as well as transportation management and brokerage services as well. Very nice. Very nice. For those who do not do it every day, what is Dray and what is Intermodal? Drayage is the movement of either an ocean container or a rail container that you see on trains, primarily in the U.S., or on big ships around the ports of the U.S. That's the, the trucking power that goes in to those rail ramps or those ports and that trucking capacity that pulls those containers out and takes that either to a, a Walmart DC or sometimes even direct stores. And that's primarily what the Dre piece is. The intermodal, there's the actual definition and then how it's used. Intermodal is primarily rail, domestic rail is how most people use that. And those use different types of equipment, a little bit longer. They're not seaworthy. But those move freight in similar types of lanes uh, as domestic U.S. truckload, those big rigs that you see on the road. And we would go into a rail ramp as well in that dray space. We would pull that out. Now, one thing that we do here at ITS is we cobble those services together. If it's a domestic container, an ocean container, once that gets off a boat, we book on rail lanes as well for our clients. and we. Take that from boat to rail and then dray that off from a ramp to where our clients want. Yep. It's very interesting. We, we don't give it enough thought, but moving stuff by ocean is 
much cheaper per per piece than other ways. And the United States is blessed in we have these wonderful waterways that most countries don't have even a fraction of these. And and then we have these oceans that surround us that allow us to move freight pretty effectively and very efficiently cost-wise. But what's also nice is we used to take things when that before we had containers, which probably goes back to the 50s and 60s, you used to have to unload a boat, which took forever. Unloading a boat now with the cranes using getting those containers out is much more cost effective, much, much faster, and makes the ports so much more efficient. All the cool stuff that we have that came inexpensively from China or Asia, no way we have that without what you just described. When, when you look at it, it is efficient compared to where we were and other countries. If you're a landlocked country like Switzerland or Mongolia or something like that, definitely not as well positioned as we are here in the States. And one thing that we do here is probably not done as well in other countries is innovation and, and technology and making that even more efficient, cost effective as well, even though we have a lot of work to do and we can always get better. There, there are efficiency gains in those modes as well. Yep. Yep. And my dad always told me, my dad's long, long passed away, but when he was a kid, he worked at my, my grandfather was in charge of produce for a big grocery chain. And so my dad said him and his brothers would go unload boxcars. And he said, he goes, you don't know how big a boxcar is until you've unloaded it. This was pre-intermodal. Now, the way we do things, that container might have gotten filled up in Vietnam, and then it took went by, by truck to the port, and then got on the ocean for a few weeks, three weeks, month, whatever it is, and then it got unloaded at the port. You guys picked it up, maybe took it to a railhead, and the first time that's opened up might be at a warehouse or a factory in the Midwest. And in the past, it would have been a whole bunch of different groups loading and unloading. And every time they're touching it, there's more damage. There's more potential for theft. There was a lot of problems in the olden days with this. But yeah, the old OS and D, right? Yeah. The only thing that you run into now, and and it it doesn't take or happen that often. I've been doing this for 15 years. So I've heard quite a few things is you get some of these tropical places where your loading point is and, and you open up a container in, in the Midwest, you might be seeing some of the the wildlife that made it on there and some very exotic bugs and spiders. And I've heard of snakes before. Oh, that, that's horrifying. I remember unloading, I was waiting for a container from China. It was for auto parts and it, it came to a Chrysler location. And I remember somebody says, hey, we haven't had a chance to unload it. There's three or four days are going by. And I was like, I, I need my damn parts. I need those parts. So you can come down and get them. Walk back. It's like a mile away, a huge building. And I remember going back and keep an eye out for spiders. And I was like, oh, whoa, wait a sec. <laughs> like, I was thinking, maybe we'll get my dumbass back to my desk <laughs> let these guys unload this when they get it <laughs> anyway so who's the sweet spot for ITS who do you guys normally work with so primarily we're working with your major shippers or BCOs right retailers auto parts distributors automotive companies as well we also work with direct goods uh, manufacturers like flooring and and other folks that that bring things in the United States. And then domestically, we're working with 
the large companies and their networks and supply chains. We do considerable amount of asset-based and, and trailer pool activity for the same types of companies. And then on our distribution side, we tend to focus on uh, small to medium-sized shippers that have complex omni-channel solutions needs. So that's not just your typical warehouse where you know something shows up and it just sits there in dead storage, but pick and pack and complex WMS integrations with like your Amazons and et cetera. So that's one, the, the big piece of our company. But on our side as well, on, on the DRE and the intermodal side, we do a considerable amount of work with all the major freight forwarders, NVOs, and uh, steamship lines as well, because they have a lot of what we call door door moves in North America, where they're controlling the drayage from the time something gets to the United States to the time it gets to the, that DC that you were talking about somewhere in the US. So those are a lot of our clients as well. And then there's myriads of commercial relationships that we have between a shipper and an MVO or steamship line or ocean carrier that a lot of that's driven by technology integration and who's actually paying for the service, but who actually wants the control of the operations. Yep. What I like about companies like yours is you can take it off the boat and either dray it with your drayage vehicle or move it to a warehouse. And I think I'm assuming you guys have some warehouses around and then also do the over the road trucking. And I think traditionally we look, it seemed as if there was one or the other. If you're a dray company, companies tended to be just that. And then you're doing the transportation and then also the distribution. It's like a one-stop shop. And I always look at distribution and transportation. The difference is distribution is typically to the end customer or at least a retailer, right? Correct. One thing to call out there too is that not only were companies mode specific, and they still are, they're also regional in nature too. You would have in some of these larger shippers supply chains, five to 10 carriers per region three to five vendors per mode. And that that gets very complex to cobble together. Whereas someone like ourselves, we've already built those networks and that density throughout North America. What we give ourselves, not just the large BCOs, but small to medium-sized companies as well. It's a BCO. scale. Oh yeah, BCO or shipper. Sorry, a beneficial cargo owner. My apologies. I'll, I'll, I inter, interchange a lot of words that are, are similes. So- I'll try to stick to one on this, but what we noticed during the post-COVID period was something that a lot of our small to medium-sized companies were dealing with for their entire existence, which was procuring transportation throughout North America, being able to be nimble and scalable in new markets to exploit new opportunities, was something that the larger shippers or larger clients of ours took for granted. And those larger clients during that post-pandemic period started having their freight show up in Savannah or Houston at a break bulk terminal just because that was the only place a lot of the ocean carriers could find to, to jettison that freight. So they needed to be nimble and needed to scale into new markets for a considerable amount of time to keep their supply chains moving. And they started gravitating towards companies like ITS to get the same type of service that our small to medium-sized companies had. Yes. And that, that was something that we're blessed to say that this kind of stuck around is that there's value in that for everyone. 
And it gives you the ability to control what happens to your freight after it gets in the U.S. And one thing that we did a lot of post-pandemic was the apply these commercial relationships where somebody could say, hey, ITS, we have a door contract with a Maersk or, or an MSC, and we can't break that contract, but we need to control our own trucking operations. So since we were already commercially set up with those steamship lines, they were able to bring us in and execute that line of business. And we were able to operationally feed data into their TMSs for their visibility and give them more of command structure over what needed to happen to that freight after it got into the U.S. And that's lingering today because there's a ton of inventory sitting in the U.S. It's reflected in import numbers right now. And and some of that freight we're still moving around to places throughout North America to, to make sure it's consumed as, as soon as possible so they can get their supply chains back in order. Yep. Yep. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined ITS Logistics. I was born and raised in central North Carolina. And that was the, it wasn't the mountains and it wasn't the ocean, agricultural type place. And then I went to school in southern Illinois for a couple of years and transferred out to Montana State in, in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. Why, why'd you do that? I'm just curious. Oh, that was, I tell people the story all the time. And I was in Southern Illinois during September 11th and I was looking at getting out of high population concentrated areas and places that I would consider safe. And, and Montana seemed like the best place. It'd be a while before Montana gets bombed. <laughs> right. I made my way out to Montana State and then worked for Coors and Coca-Cola as a sales and marketing manager out there and went to a lot of rodeos and, and country music concerts and stuff on the sales and marketing side for them. And then 2008, I got into transportation and logistics, moved down here to Reno, Nevada. My parents had uh, retired from the Bay Area and and moved out here to start that chapter in their life in a little town called Gardnerville. Wanted to get close to them and then started in transportation and logistics with a company called Schneider. Well, Pretty sure everybody's. Oh, yeah. And I did six six plus years with them and moved over here to, to ITS Logistics and have been here those 10 years since. Very nice. I know I said Schneider's behemoth. I saw a presentation about what ITS is doing, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but you guys have put together an index for the ports, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I know if you watch the financial news every once in a while, you'll hear them reference this this index. So it's not just something you're created for your... So even though you might have created it for your, your customers, the, the, the financial media has picked it up. So it's you guys are uh, getting quite the name yourself. I want to talk about a few of the problems in this lingering port congestion. And one of the things is, and we started seeing this during the pandemic. And by the way, this has probably been going on for a long time. Those of us who didn't move freight in and out of the ports probably didn't think about it. But now we know we had a big problem at Long Beach and LA, the ports, and we started migrating. And I think we're seeing some of that freight migrate from the West Coast to the East Coast, but also to the Gulf, like uh, Houston. And I know ports like Savannah are some of the fastest growing ports in America. And I think this is what I've always said about that. When you move stuff that used to come to LA and now it comes to Savannah or New York or Houston, that means not only did that 
the boat land somewhere different. Now you need trucks, but you need the drainage, you need a drainage team, you need the trucks, maybe a warehouse. Your whole supply chain changed. And that is a huge undertaking for some companies. So if you said, we're all set, we work with a trucking company out of LA and they take it from LA to wherever you're at, we're good. Now all of a sudden I'm not doing it in LA. So I think working with a company like ITS that says, we'll dray from any port you want and we'll move it from any, with our trucks or our partner trucks anywhere you want. We all of a sudden needed that flexibility during COVID, but it's not over. The COVID's over and the port congestion related to the strike, I don't know if it's completely over, but there's still a migration going on. Yeah. And one thing that that happens when you have a sustained disruption like this, we're talking one and a half to two years, is that if if I'm not just one-offing and, and going to Savannah, but but I'm changing that up for a long period of time, then I'm going to have to put my own DCs in place. Uh, I'm going to have to hire workers. I'm going to have to redesign my supply chain. And that becomes a lot more sticky than just a one-off incident. One thing that we're seeing a lot of is the freight volumes that did uh, migrate east into the Gulf uh, from the West Coast. That's pretty much baked into the cake now. And that freight's not going to come back because the supply chains have been redesigned, which is a good, smart idea, especially for a larger shipper. You want that kind of geographical variation so you can react to the market. One headwind that we're seeing right now that's pushing freight back to the West is the congestion out in the Panama Canal, right? With the water levels being so low, we are putting contingency plans in place to take some of this freight that was supposed to go to Houston and Jacksonville and Savannah and Charleston and Norfolk and New York, New Jersey. That looks like it might be coming back to the West so they can stay ahead of that congestion. So being able to ebb and flow makes these you know, blips or the, these problems that, that used to be very challenging to shippers makes it a little bit easier now. And yeah. that's one of the things that, that kind of stuck around. And, and one thing to call out too about the East Coast that we're noticing is that if I'm a new company and I came into fruition over the past two to three years, and we see this in the EV space and the automotive space, is that a lot of those supply chains are starting in the you know South Carolinas, the North Carolinas, the Tennessees, the Georgias, and and new industry and new business is is calling that their home in, in in Texas as well. Not only existing business making that shift, but new business as well. We're starting to see go into the Texas up into the the Southeast. Well, by the way, I say it all the time on my podcast. Lately, I interview people from basically three places. Georgia, Texas, or somewhere else on the planet. But lately, it's been just basically just Georgia. And if you look at the, I saw some uh, article not so long ago, it talked about $100 billion of business moving from the Northeast to the Southeast. And that means supply chains are moving. Let's get back to your index. Tell us what your index does, and then we'll talk about some of the things, some of the current issues in that. But I think more important than what's going on today, if somebody's listening six months from now, things are going to be completely different, which is why you need some sort of index to help you understand what's happening, not only an index, but also probably a company. Because we are going to change, and we have the ability to change. Before, 
we might have said, I just move in LA. And if LA is running really poorly, uh, what are you going to do? But now with our technology and our insights that we have from that technology, we have the, a view of the picture and say, hey, we're moving. We're no longer in LA this month. We're going to be down in Houston. And if things go sour there, we got a backup plan in Virginia or Savannah or Vancouver or wherever. So anyway, talk about your index and what you when you guys created it and what it's for. So the Portland Rail Dray Index for North America was actually a device to deliver information that we already had to our clients and not just current clients of ours, but anybody that I would meet at a trade show or anybody that was in my contacts and in my network. Oh, you're not trying to sell. You're not trying to sell with that, are you? Oh, no, I would never do that. If somebody gravitates towards excellence, then so be it. But so like, we started out, let's put everything together in an easy, digestible uh, form. First thing you'll get is a snapshot of our three ocean regions, which is the Pacific, the, and then we got the Gulf, and then we have the Atlantic. And then we've split up the U.S. into two rail sectors, the East and the West. And the Mississippi River pretty much determines who's East and who's West on the rail side. And we have about six criteria points that go in three sectors, green, yellow, red, on how operations are at these facilities or at these ports, chassis availability, trucking availability outbound, a myriad of items. And then that generates what we determine that region to be, right? It's either going to be green, normal operations, yellow or orange is elevated, like, hey, we see some stuff primarily coming down the pipe that you might want to be concerned about. And then there's red, which is severe concern. And those are areas that are bad. Work around. <laughs> right. Yeah. St stay away from those areas. And, and then each section, we give a place that you can get operational efficiency. So regardless of what color that's at or what concern that is, there's a thing that we recommend that you could do to make things better. And then there's something that we see as a potential pitfall. So even if it's green and it's normal, we'll put some information in there that's, hey, this is still a concern in this region, even though things are working great right now. We also put in what we call the ITS advantage. And, and that's just a, a, a nice, concise couple paragraphs of, hey, this is something that we're seeing in the U.S. supply chain or the North American supply chain that is being done or should be done by others. And this is why you should do it. And this is how you could do it. And we throw one of those in a month as well. And not all that's not always going to be something that ITS can do, even though a lot of times it is, but it is agnostic in a way. And one thing that we've put a lot in there recently is visibility. And you probably go to a lot of the same conferences I go to and We've been preaching visibility for months, if not years, and that is one thing that ITS is investing in for our clients and to go to market with as well is how many integrations can we get from as many of the stakeholders in the supply chain as possible, aggregate that data, and then either push that to our client base or we have got a UI that we develop so people can log in as well. But there's also that very important function that we're seeing more and more people do and more and more folks consume. 
And that's that's something that you'll always see in this index is uh, technology related uh, way to go to market or uh, services should be used. Yep. And by the way, this is how I feel like we should all engage with our not only our customers, but our prospective customers. People want to work with experts. So you're proving we're experts. We we understand the ports in Canada and the U.S. and we'll advise you. You don't necessarily have to work. And it always reminds me, we all want to engage as doctors or lawyers. You go to a doctor and say, your doctor never tries to sell you anything. Why? Because he's a pro, right? And I'm not against people trying to sell. We're getting to a place when I see other companies doing the same thing. Well, we're going to create great content and be experts in the market and share that. And again, I know it's getting shared at the higher level. How, how often do you guys publish this thing? So this comes out every month. It probably, I get it completed probably the first week of the month. We had pull in data. So our August one just was released last week. We move and start working on September right away. So there's about three weeks of, of data that, that we bring in. We aggregate. We look at what's going on in the market. That goes out. It gets embargoed to media for about four to five days. And then we release it via our social media presence, our website, and then all of our account-facing staff pushes that to their current client base as well. Yep. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out green screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, today we're talking about lingering port congestion, but a month from now, it might be a whole different problem. Like we know there's going to be a whole different problem. That's this, the nature of this business. And I think if you're a shipper, we want that visibility of our current shipments, but I also want a planning tool to say, what do I got to do next month and next quarter? And that means I'm going to have some insights and there's insights you guys are able to provide. And I, I love that. I think it's the way all of us should be engaging. More and more companies are collecting this data and now interpreting it and saying, here's what we think is happening in the market. And it's exactly the right way to engage. The idea that I'll just bang the phones all day and say, hey, we'll get the lowest price truck. That's not how the pros are doing it. You pay for what you get. Right now, the call out, it's funny that you say that, is we're looking at a potential mass exodus of a lot of capacity in small to medium-sized trucking companies as we get into quarter, end of quarter one, lunar new year of next year, quarter two. And with that capacity leaving the market, that's going to push rates up. Right now, you have a lot of shippers that are an RFP right now. So they're procuring capacity pretty much at the bottom of the market. And, and a lot of the data that we're looking at is showing that a lot of these smaller companies are, are at break even or losing a little bit of money with, with where current rates and, and fuel are at. So that's something that we tell people, hey, keep an eye. It's not always best price. 
You want to make sure that you're working with a healthy company financially so your service doesn't slip. One thing that we're looking at and advance for you, Joe, for next month is uh, hurricane season. So NOAA has come out and elevated their concern because of how warm the Gulf is. That could have uh, a major impact on the Southeast and the Gulf Coast. It could have a major impact on fuel if that affects uh, the refineries down there. And it's items like that 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 aren't as cut and dry as, as we're used to in transportation that can affect not only your operations, but what the cost is to move your supply chain. Yep. And I think more and more companies mentioned the RFP. Yeah, getting doing an RFP at the bottom of the market. I know if I was a carrier or a broker right now and somebody says, let's do an RFP, I'm more and more, and I'm not the only one saying this, let's get to that quarterly RFP. Let's get to that seasonal RFP. And and if it's so there's some underperforming lanes, let's go back and say, maybe we put these back out for bid. But the idea that I have to tell you right now, hey, I'll give you a price, Paul, and I'll, I'll sign in blood for the next year. I don't know what's going to happen in the next year. I hope I, I hope things are good. But And by the way, I always remember when I was at the little third-party logistics company, our best customer, and we did everything for them. We really bent over backwards. And one of the reasons we did is because they, every once in a while, would say to me, or the owner, you're making money on this, right? This is good business. And I was thinking, nobody else asked. Nobody cares. Maybe they care, but they didn't care if we went out of business. They said, you're a good provider for us, and we don't want to lose you. We don't want to drive you out of business accidentally. And it's funny, in, in this space, you always get asked if you're making money. No one asks Google or Amazon or, or has any issues with them making 100% margins on, on their goods, right? It's transportation for some reason. We have families that we have to support. We have uh, to keep the lights on as well. We have to invest into technology and stuff to, to stay ahead. What's going to happen to keep supply chains moving? But yeah, it's it's definitely one of these things where, you know, as getting to our philosophy when it comes to rates, it's, it, we start seeing pricing go down considerably Q, into Q3 last year. And what we did, even though we were under contract with our clients for a year or we were six months into an RFP that was pegged at the top of the market, we started taking rates down, right? Contracted rates down at the end of last year. Because we were seeing changes in the market. It was mostly from the demand side. And there was a lot of supply. So as a good steward, not just to the ecosystem, but as a good partner to our clients, we took rates down out the gates instead of waiting for that next RFP. Because shippers, and let's be honest, they got beat up by a lot of parties for 18 to 24 months. And when we could show them some cost reductions, we did that, right? And it's a two-way street, right? If we start seeing benefits in the market, we should be passing that on. But vice versa, we hope that they play with us on the back end if it changes. Yeah, I had a customer one time and they said, my God, you're saving us so much money. It's just every month it's more. And I was like, I said, I would love to say that it's because of our brilliance, but the wind is at our back right now. And I said, and it won't be forever. <laughs> when, when the market changes, I'm going to bring you back some I'm going to ask for some money back. And I said, I want to have this back and forth. I want to be open and honest. And by the way, I think this is why that we're going to get more and more transparent about the rates, because from my perspective, I want you 
to manage my freight and make good money. But I also need, I, especially if I'm a large shipper, I need to know what the market's doing and I need you to tell me what it's doing and I'll still pay you. And I also, I've never liked the idea where you say, yeah, the cost went up. And then the boss says, hey, the cost just went up 20%. Is that because transportation costs went up or the broker and 3PL costs went up? Oh, both, I guess. Why is the broker making more money? Because transportation costs more. Does their job get harder that day? No. <laughs> anyway, we've talked a little bit about that index. And what we'll do is we'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. We'll put a link to that index. What do you call the index? So it's the logistics Dray, or sorry, port and rail Dray index. Very succinct, really easy to Google. No, I'm just <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the name of the index. I will put a link in, in, in the show notes. And so before we leave, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things going on. So we talked about there's a lingering inventory. So we had, so during COVID we had, and during the West coast potential strike, we had a lot of people say, Hey, I don't know if I can get inventory. So they stocked up and now we have excess inventory. And so we're seeing less shipping coming into the ports and going over the road. How long is that going to be in the market? Do you think? We had about four weeks of disruption in, in British Columbia. So Vancouver and, and Prince Rupert, that's funny enough, that's rail freight. So those are containers that come off the, the vessel and they interline, they get put on rail and they end up going to the U.S. Midwest. Good rule of thumb is about per week, two to four weeks at the port to get that leveled out. And then you're probably going to see another two to four weeks in addition at those ramp facilities. We'll pick on Chicago because they get the greater uh, of any of these Midwest rail ramps from Canada. You're looking at about somewhere around eight weeks, probably until that levels out. So we're looking at mid end of September until operations return to, to where they, they were. And then volumes without any other kind of operational headwind are fairly stable. And we should be stable until Lunar New Year of next year. And for those that don't know the impact of Lunar New Year, Asia shuts down for a considerable amount of time for this holiday. And shippers... It's like Chinese New Year, right? In January? Exactly. Exactly. And shippers will ship heavy to get ahead of that. And that's also the kickoff to, to their spring and summer goods. And then everybody goes into contract with the steamship lines and the NVOs, and a lot of those deals are finalized down at TPM and LA and Long Beach some, sometime in March. And then trucking goes out to bid in RFP. And then you start seeing a gentle buildup to your traditional peak season that starts in July. Lots of changes, which is why we need to look at this index. And right now I looked at your index and it has most of the ports are okay, but the only thing that was red was those Midwestern rail ramps, which is the rail ramps is where it moves from, from the train to the warehouses and vice versa, right? Correct. Correct. And there's two major headwinds. We're talking about these volumes that are, are coming like a tidal wave from Western Canada and some parts of the, the U.S. West. Seattle and L.A. Long Beach actually had some displaced containers that were booked to those areas to avoid. Vancouver. So that's all making its way and, and hitting, and, and that's causing congestion. But there is something that we've been calling out in the index since last year, is a lack of ocean chassis at these rail terminals. And 
that is something to be mindful of as well because wait what's an ocean chassis <laughs> okay ocean chassis is for that ocean equipment most rail that you see is a domestic 53 foot container and that's what most of us are used to seeing come off these ramps but a considerable amount of ocean freight which are in 20 40 and 45 foot containers moves along rail as we're discussing now and then it shows up in these rail ramps throughout north america and you have to use a different chassis for that and chassis that can handle 20 40 and 45 foot containers are understocked at a lot of these major ramps because during the congestion that came after COVID, they pushed a lot of that equipment out to the ocean terminals because everybody was pulling freight as quick as they could when it would show up to the U.S. So that hasn't been put back into equilibrium, and that's causing some issues. It hasn't worked its way through the system yet. Yeah, again, this is exactly why you need a partner like ITS, who, again, it's not just one day you wake up and, and say, why can't I get what I want? You start to have some clarity into your planning, and that's what everybody's trying to. I always say we want to. If you're a supply chain person, and I've come from a supply chain background, what we're always trying to do is take out risk. And when you look at, at, we can look at our factories and say I'm trying to minimize risk inside my factory. Now, and you can look at the supply chain as the great outdoor factory that stretches thousands of miles. Really hard to manage the risk in that, and you guys are putting some clarity in that, which is so important. What I'll do again, I'll put the link to your report. Final thoughts on this topic, Paul Brazer. To your point earlier, what we're seeing a lot from requests from our shippers are two things. First is they want more technology and visibility. So as if, if I'm a shipper listening to this right now, it's I need to be looking at my providers and see which ones can provide that for me and make that part of the RFI process and the carrier selection process. And another thing, too, is having, I can't disclose who the client is, but one throat to choke, right? So if you have one party that, that can provide all these services and has insight into these multiple modes and potential risk or pitfall, having somebody come in that's malleable throughout regions and someone that can provide different modes and complex solutions, these are providers that we're seeing they'll have the most salient impact on supply chains for for shippers. Those two things, if I was going to leave it here and, and somebody wanted to make a difference within their organization, focus on those two things and the next five years will be gravy for you, minus a catastrophe that I can't call out right now. Yeah. I heard somebody say on my podcast, and I love it. They said, it's not one throat to choke, it's one back to path. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Very positive. But it makes so much sense to me that you want a company. So here's a, here's one of the challenges. And let's just say you're working with somebody, a Dre company, and they only do LA, only do Long Beach, small regional, and they don't do all the ports in US and Canada. And they say, oh boy, it looks like there's going to be a lot of congestion here. They don't tell you, you know what? Maybe you should move that to Savannah because they don't want to lose the business. And this is the challenge you run into. I want insights that are good for my company, not good for my, not good for, if I'm getting that insight, I want to make sure it's unbiased. You're not looking and going, I want them in LA and Long Beach because that's where we're at. (laughs) We run a fine line with some of our clients because some of our clients are, uh, ocean carriers and MVOs as well. But one of the things that we threw out there 
and, and it wasn't a benefit to us, but we had tons of clients that had inventory issues, way too much inventory. And you have to pay to store that once it gets to the States. So the one thing that we threw out to our clients was, hey, instead of booking LA Long Beach or Seattle, Tacoma, or even Vancouver with that quick transit, why don't you book to Newark or Norfolk and add an additional, in some cases, four to six weeks of free storage on these ocean vessels as they take this slow trip around through the Panama Canal and up the East Coast. That, that didn't benefit us, but it sure did save our clients a ton of money because that's technically free storage. I love it. I love it. Paul, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? There's an economist, Jason, his last name's, is it Hillenbrook? We were just talking about him. Jason. Oh, Jason, Jason Miller. Jason Miller from, and I, it pains me to say this because I'm a U of M guy, Michigan guy, but he's up in East Lansing of Michigan State. I read that guy religiously every day, posts a lot of great things on LinkedIn. I know a lot of my clients that are savvy, read him as well. As far as like really good agnostic data and somebody that actually is, especially on LinkedIn, that will actually give you insight and do some back and forth with you. That's somebody that I, I keep an eye on. And then there, there's some really good trade organizations out there that you can always get some good agnostic data from. IANA does a really great job. And we work closely with them, especially when it comes to, to changes at the terminals and some of the drain capacity out there. Yep. Jason Miller is a supply chain guy. So he's a professor of supply chain at uh, Michigan State, but he would call himself a supply chain economist because he is taking, he's, he loves government data. And he says there's a ton of really useful government data and he knows how to work that data like nobody else. So I had him on the podcast before. And by the way, I'm a Wolverine too, but I, I love the Spartans too. I have a daughter who went there. Num number two this year. So let's, yeah. set our, set our, <laughs> let's set our sights really high. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So what conferences will we see you and the ITS team at? All right. Coming up at the end of September, you'll see us at GOC Inland there in Chicago. And then we'll have a group that same week. I'll be doing both actually the Detroit Auto Show, and then swing through Michigan and, and catch up with some folks that, that I know there. And then we're heading down to CSCMP in Orlando, first week of October, right in the middle of hurricane season. Great planning. And and then, then we go back into your normal conference schedule. You got Manifest coming up and Rila and all those guys. I will see you at Manifest. Yeah. And hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be on the same panel or at a panel close to each other. Yeah, yeah. I was moderated the shipper panel last year with Best Buy and Alta, a few other companies. I loved it. By the way, everybody piled in on the shipper panel. And by the way, I, I talked to Pam and Courtney from Manifest. Manifest is a, a goal. They had, by the way, they had a lot of shippers at the last conference, which is when I went to. But their goal was to have even more shippers, which I think is really useful because it's great for us transportation and logistics people go, but we want to engage with companies that are shippers. But I think just as important as that is we want to hear from them. And if you can hear from the shippers say, hey, here's my real problem, because so often we don't understand fully what our customers want. Yeah. And one thing I liked about Manifest, and you get this at TPM for to a certain extent down Long Beach, is hearing from the vendors from the transportation companies, from the tech companies, 
and throwing out there what they've done and listening to how they solve problems as well. Yep. Yep. I will see you. I will see you definitely at some of these. I'll definitely be at Manifest. And I don't know where, what other conference I'm going to in the fall, but I will see you. I will see you out there. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Again, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website, link to your index, which I can't pronounce the whole name, but I'll put it in there. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, Joe. You hang in there and uh, look forward to seeing you in the near future, my friend. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.